0: This summer, um, we're going through our parallel series, which means that we are reading through two books of the Bible, Old Testament, New Testament, and paralleling them together. And in the beginning of the summer, we started with the book of Daniel and First Timothy. And now we're going into our new books, Job and John. And last week, Pastor Mike, he he finished it off with this powerful word that he brought on Paul's commission to Timothy to nurture relationships uh, uh, correctly across genders and generations and how to care for the real widow um, and how to live selfless versus being self indulgent. And so this month, as we read through the book of Job and John, we're going to get started. Um, This week, you're going to start with the first six books of the gospel of John and the first 12 books of the book of Job. And before we begin to parallel these two books, I want you to understand something. The more you press in, the less likely you are to give up. And so as we get into Job, I'm going to try and summarize the 12 books that we're going to be reading this week. Uh, Job was a man of virtue and reverence. He has fortune and a good reputation in his region. That's who he was. But Satan comes and he starts to instigate the genuineness that Job had of high honor and high moral standards. And so what God does is he permits Job to experience disaster involving his property, his family, and his body. So he lost his uh, livestock, his fortune, he lost his children, he lost everything, and then also suffered in his physical body. And so how many of you know that the devil doesn't play fair, he's relentless? So, here in Job chapter 2, verse 9, we see uh, Job is going through this calamity. He's going through this, through this trial of losing everything. And Job chapter 9, uh, verse, verse 9, chapter 2 says, Then his wife said to him, Do you still hold fast your integrity? Curse God and die. So his wife goes and she counsels him to curse God and die. And Job refuses, and he maintains his trust in God in the midst of his horrific suffering. And then, then in Job chapter 3, verse 1, it says, After this, Job opened his mouth and cursed the day of his birth. Hearing of his suffering, his friends come, and they think, oh, I'm going to go and console Job. We're going to bring him counsel. Because Job curses the day of his birth because of his suffering. And those three friends, they come, and they believe... They believe that they understand God's providence more than Job. That they understand God's justice more than Job. So they go and they rebuke Job and they tell him to repent for whatever sin he committed. And and they they believed in that theology. Oh, you reap what you sow, Job. So you must have sown in sin and you're reaping the wrath of God. And so Job, he continues to maintain his innocence. um, And then he expresses to God, I cannot understand, God, why you have permitted this calamity on my life. So first, God does not condemn Job. So there was nothing that would lead us to believe that Job's suffering was a direct result of sin. How many of you know that sometimes you think that you're going through something because of the direct result of sin. Sometimes we do, and sometimes it's the enemy just attacking. And so we need to stop living in condemnation of our critics, even if the critic is yourself. I don't know about you, but I am my own critic, and it is real up in my head as being critical. It's real. Secondly, there were no compliments from God. Uh, he didn't say anything to Job that would make you think that he suffered enough. There were no words of encouragement or consolation from the Lord. No words of how much of a good experience God, uh, Job was going to have during this time. Like, good job, Job. You're suffering well. And perhaps the most shocking of all is that there are no explanations At the very least, you would expect God to lay it out for Job in black and white and let him know the reason why he allowed Satan to go this far. But God supplies no answers to all the questions that Job had and the questions that he raised. So Job and his friends, they go through this chapter after chapter, three rounds of arguments over these issues. And then later in the chapters, there's a man named Elihu, who steps in and he tells all of three Job's friends, you guys have it wrong. You have it wrong. And what he does is he defends God's providence and he points out that reproof and changed behavior are the design goals of suffering. Say reproof and change behavior. Yes, pressing in produces character. While giving up produces destruction of identity. And I'm going to say it again, y'all. Pressing in produces character. While giving up produces destruction of identity. Job cursed his birth even after his wife encouraged him to curse God. He didn't curse God. And how we conduct our conversations Can give place to the enemy. So we gotta watch out. You see, because Satan does not waste a moment's time to attack. At this moment, Job, he suffers from leprosy. As some scholars would suggest, he had sores on his body that led him to itch. His appearance was disfigured. He, um, what did he do? He had a loss of appetite. He was depressed. He was sleepless. He had recurring nightmares. His scabs begin to peel and he had high fevers. His eyes were burning. He had chronic pain. And so chapter after chapter, Job had been crying out to God. So then why does God decline to provide us with answers about his dealings with us and our sufferings? Well, I'm not sure. Well, maybe it's because explanations won't always help us. Sometimes we want to know how. Sometimes we want to know who, sometimes we want to know why, but sometimes the explanation won't even help us. Or maybe perhaps God keeps us ignorant because we are incapable of comprehending the answer. What Job was going through was certainly going to produce character in him. And oftentimes we can go through something that it reveals something inside of us where we feel insecure, where we feel rejection, hopelessness, and helplessness. And sometimes it makes us want to give up on a situation. And sometimes it wants, give, it wants us to give up on others. And so I had a Job-ish experience in my life. I've been married for 18 years. And I have two sons. Elijah and Ethan, I went with the E's, yes, I'm corny, there you go, Eddie, Ethan, and Elijah, and so uh, we've been married for 18 years, and my son Elijah's 18, do the math, that's a testimony for another day, not today, um, and so when, we, uh, when Elijah was two years old, my sister She was a speech language pathologist. She kind of just started in her career. I'm one of five. And so my sister comes to me and she's like, I think you need to get Elijah evaluated. And I was like, girl, bye. You're You're just comparing him to all the other kids that you work with in your school. Don't try to compare. He's reaching all the milestones. He's talking. He's fine. And my older sister calls me up one day and she was like, Joss, because that's my nickname, Joss. She said, Joss, what, um, what do you have to lose? You get him evaluated and he, he gets the intervention that he needs or you get him evaluated and, and you, he doesn't need anything. What, what's there to lose? There's only to gain. And I was like, all right, you're right. I'm going to swallow my pride and I'm gonna do it. I'm gonna get him evaluated. And as we went through the evaluation, uh, the the psychologist tells me, "Well, what he has is because he would he would uh, often repeat what we said, right? And and your kids repeat what you say all the time, especially when they're little. It's like, yeah, they're parakeets. They repeat everything. But what I started to notice." was that he would repeat everything that I was saying, but he would never answer me if I asked him a question. He would just repeat the question. And so what the therapist was telling me is, what that is, is that's echolalia, is he echoes everything that you say, and it's going to take time for him to process what you're saying to be able to answer you. And so it was going to take two to three minutes of waiting. And I remember waiting two to three minutes, asking him the question, and I was like, wow, that's a long time. Um, and so what we did was we went and we got some intervention for him. and He was two years old and he started going to school, what's called early intervention. And so in that early intervention, I was hopeful that by the time he reached kindergarten, he was going to succeed and he was going to excel. But what they were telling me was that he had a developmental delay. So not only did he have echolalia, it was a developmental delay. And so I was like, okay, well, I was hopeful that he would just hurry up and, and excel uh, academically. And I remember going through family therapy and she said, uh, why are you so, why are you just holding such high expectations to your son? And then eventually get disappointed if he doesn't go into mainstream. And if he doesn't go into mainstream, like, what's, what's the big loss? And I was like, you're right. Okay. I'm going to lower my expectations and I'm not going to worry about it. It's just going to be for his gain. And so as I went through those years and he gets into kindergarten and, and we go through these um, individual education plans. It's called IEP. That's the, the acronym for it. And we we would take his educational plan and we would plan and we would see how much therapy he needs and how much intervention he needs, how many times a week. And they had increased it when he was um, two years old, but then they decreased it when he got a little bit older. And as we went through that, I remember going to our uh, yearly meetings that we were required to to go to and and crying afterwards because I'm like, he's not... The, the, the report is showing me where he, where he is and he's not progressing well. And, and if the summer goes by and I don't have him in a program, then he's going to regress. And so this, this fear and this not knowing what God was, was going to do or this not knowing where my son was going to be, I, I, I just walked in the unknowing. And, and there was just this suffering that was happening inside of me year after year. And by the time he was seven, I said, you know what? I'm done looking at these progress reports. And I'm not saying that I went and I threw everything away and was like, God's going to heal my son. No. I went and I said, I'm not going to look at those progress reports because I'm going to believe what the word of the Lord says. So I took Jeremiah 29, 11, and I wrote it on his uh, cork board at home or his erase bo- dry erase board at home. And I knew that it was like, for the plans that I have, I know the plans that I have for you, says the Lord. A plan not to harm you, but to prosper you, to give you a future and a hope. And so I started to declare that over my son and I would pray for him and I would pray for healing for his mind, that he would um, be able to excel academically. And year after year, as I continued to pray, I would see middle school. He started to become a little bit more independent. And by eighth grade, I was able to kind of let off. A little bit and allow him to just do his work on his own and not like be on top of him and there with him and doing homework. And as I started to see that, then I would release my hand little by little. Isn't that like God? Sometimes He releases His hand little by little when He sees that we're doing okay. So I started to do that with Him. And when He hit high school, He just really started to excel and He started. Having a grade point average of in the 90s and he would get the honor roll And I was just so excited because I saw him excelling and Two weeks ago My son graduated with a 3.7 GPA With the na- he was a national honored society recipient and he received an award for outstanding character and commitment to his school community Pressing in produces character. It produced character in me to be a mom. And when we went to his graduation, I remember shouting his name because I'm Latina and we shout. But what I also am is I'm a daughter of the king. And so, as I shouted his name, Elijah, Elijah, because he did it and he made it. And I was shouting to the, to when I was taking him to kindergarten when he was five years old, the unknown, not knowing. But I'm shouting, Elijah, Elijah, you did it. You did it. Congratulations. Because God has all the glory on what he did in my life. And there was a character in me that he had to develop. It wasn't just Elijah has his own testimony, but there was a character in me that he developed for me to be the good mom that I needed to be for him. And there was a discipline that God was doing in my life as I was trying to push and press for my son. Isaiah 55, 9 says, for as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, my thoughts higher than your thoughts. And maybe God keeps us ignorant because our ignorance is the best place where faith can grow. Ignorance in the midst of suffering compels us to do Two things, one of two things, actually. Either we abandon God altogether, or we trust him all the more. And I had to trust God in this when all the reports were telling me where he was and where he wasn't. And you see, something more important than knowing God is that why God does what he does is learning to cling to him in faith When everything else threatens to destroy our souls, pressing in operates in faith while giving up operates in fear. I had fear. If the band can come up, I had fear, but I knew that I had to press I had to press in past the fear and say, God, I need faith to move this mountain today. I need faith to move every mountain, every single day, every year, every test, every state exam, every single thing. I needed faith to believe for my child. So we're going into the gospel of John. John 1.12 says, but as many as has received him, to them he gave power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name. You see, John 1.12 here, it links faith and, it, and power. When we faith it forward, we are pressing on into the kingdom power and authority when John the Baptist was baptizing people and, and Jesus came and and the Lord said, this is my son in whom I'm well pleased. And then John the Baptist's disciples are like, hey, John, um, Rabbi, that, that Jesus guy that you baptized, well, everybody's going to him. They're getting baptized over there. And John replied and said, a person cannot receive even one thing unless it is, it is given him from heaven. And in the Jewish law one person who represents another acts on his sender's authority. And the real authority always comes from the sender. You see the father gave the son power and the son gave it to us in the person of the Holy Spirit. Pressing in is where our greatest strength lies while giving up is where our greatest weakness lies in between pressing in and giving up you'll encounter voices of incompetence i encountered voices of incompetence i encountered voices of hey you know what you sinned and so your son is suffering because you sinned and it took me years To realize my identity in Christ to realize my identity as a daughter to say you know what I'm not incompetent because it's you God it's you I may not have all the answers I may not have all the science but I know it's you and my son Elijah and I'm sure he had voices of incompetence in him and that's his testimony to tell but voices of feeling incompetent it causes you to look inward but there is a louder voice that brings us to look up and to look forward. Pressing in, it remains in the process while giving up abandons it. Don't abandon the process. There is a process that we need to go through. My son went through a process year after year and we went through the process as a family. I went through a process as his mother because there was something that God was doing in us because he was going to get the glory. Philippians three twelve to 14 says in the message translation, I'm not saying that I have this all together, that I have made it, but I am well on my way. Reaching out for Christ who so wondrously reached out for me friends don't get me wrong by no means do i count myself an expert in all of this but i've got my eye on the goal where god is beckoning us church he is beckoning us onward to jesus i am off and running and i'm not turning back We don't give up by forgetting the past and we don't stay stuck in incompetence. By looking away from self and looking to Jesus, we have the power to move it forward. Because Jesus, he needs nothing to work with because he came to make something out of nothing. He came to make something out of my life out of my son, out of my testimony, and he can make anything out of your nothing. In the book of John it teaches us the the whole first 6 chapters of the book of John. It's it's where Jesus can bring the miraculous out of your nothingness why because in John 2 there was a miracle of turning water into wine because there was no wine John 4 there was no water and no husband at the with the woman at the well and the miracle of no water but he filled her with the living water John 5 is the miracle of the man picking up his mat to walk. Why? Because he had no strength, but there was healing at the pool of Bethesda. In John 6, there was a a, a miracle of feeding the 5000, and there was not enough fish and not enough bread, but there was 12 baskets left over. Jesus fills things that are empty if you don't see it he fills things that are empty and if you're empty today he can fill you he can take your not enough and he can make it more than enough he can make it more than enough because pressing in produces character Pressing in, it operates in faith. Pressing in is where our greatness comes. Our greatest strength comes from it. Pressing in remains in the process. It is a process. If you can stand to your feet with me, prayer team, come up. Across all locations, if every, every one of the prayer team can come up. Because I'm going to speak to some people today that are going to need to press. I'm speaking to the mom who's going through trials with your children I'm speaking to the dry and empty person that needs to press I'm talking to the person that's plagued with invoices of incompetence You need to press Come, come with your nothingness Come and press, come and meet Jesus come and let him give you living water because the more you press in the likely you are to give up